0: After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Prologue, Genesis Plague, Dark Ages. Aquisi, son of Maesk, considered his options. A dry, dusty wind tossed up pregnant waves on the lake. With the dust in the air, the water was brown and murky. Not a good sign. A dozen dirty refugees huddle on the rocky beach around a small fire under the stern watchfulness of four of Aquisi's men. Ten thousand years in the future, this place would be known as West Turkana, a neighbor of Kenya in the central rift of Africa. In these early times on the edge of humankind's transition from hunting and gathering to a more settled agrarian life, It wasn't any country or state or region of a whole. For Aquisi, it was simply the land of his people. This land, a place where his father and his father's father had lived and had died, was his responsibility to protect. It was his people he thought of now. What would the gods tell him? What should he do? He knew there were other peoples clustered around the shore of the lake in the river valleys. There were seasonal gatherings with these other groups. They celebrated together and traded, not only basic items, but marriages with young women going to live with the other tribes and vice versa. It kept the peace and kept the tribes strong. They shared knowledge, goods, and the strength of their people. But there were still boundaries. This group of refugees before him, huddled and miserable, had arrived from further up the valley telling a tale of an evil spirit. An evil spirit that had descended on their huts and killed most of their tribe. These dozen ragged survivors had fled from that evil place and left their dead to the gods and the carrion eaters. These survivors included old men, women, and children. They huddled together and begged Akwesi for his protection. They beseeched him to let them stay, to them food, or at least to let them pass. Aqueezy did not like this at all. They had been touched by an evil spirit. They were unclean. He had a duty to his people, to their ancestors, to protect them. It was not a decision he came to lightly, but it was a decision that only he could make as the first among equals, the chosen leader. He had consulted the elders, He had watched and considered while the holy woman went through her trances and danced among the fires to call the gods. But the decision was his. At dawn on the second day, as a great orange sun rose out of the lake, Aqueezy gripped his stone mace, grabbed a handful of a refugee's hair, and brought it down hard with a crunching of bone. The old man slumped forward into the pit, dead at Aqueezy's hand. The others followed as Aqueezy's men cleansed their home of these refugees and of this evil spirit. The bloody remains were thrown, jumbled, into a pit at the edge of the clearing. Let the gods take them. It was another two days before the first of Aquisi's people fell ill. It was three days that Aquisi himself lay vomiting in his hut, on his way to meeting his ancestors and their gods in the shadow world. He worried about his people in those last moments. He prayed to his ancestors to keep the fire alive in this place. As he slipped into the unconscious realm, Alquisi came to realize that he and his people were never safe, that wherever humans gathered together, the evil spirits could always find them. The great death would come, only a matter of time. And so it came to pass, 10,000 years later, Humans built great cities, empires, and civilizations. All the world was their dominion. In their hubris, they thought they could do anything. They thought they could best any disease and solve any problem. In their hubris, they lived in cities packed closely together. They feasted on the world like a great swarming mass of insects. They cut rainforests, dammed rivers, drained wetlands, and acted like the oceans were infinite. And, in their hubris, they stirred from its slumber their old nemesis, the old plague. It woke among the ancient forests, where it had hidden for ten millennia. Waiting, it had changed, evolved, adapted, into something more robust, more potent, and more transmissible when it re-emerged. It brought horror and chaos, in which nine out of ten people died in the course of just a few short months. The young and the old. The poor. The poor. The rich and the powerful alike were snuffed to near extinction in an unthinkable apocalypse. Civilization, as it was known, flickered and blinked out. Oh, some survived. But it was a different world. After the apocalypse. A world with different rules. A world with different challenges. A world where the shadows and the ghosts of old. Haunted. But also a world where the seeds of opportunity had nestled deep in the compost of bones, to sprout into something new and different and, maybe, better. A new battle to survive was joined. This battle to survive was tempered by the old battle of good versus evil that raged in humanity since time immemorial. There were always those who acted poorly in the wake of disaster, their innate darkness unbound when the structures of moral codes were lost. The survivors of this plague would have to deal with these ancient human challenges to see what could be found in the new world, to see what could be made in the new world after the apocalypse. The old man knew he could outdistance all of them. They might be on his heels for the first quarter mile or even the first mile, but if he could just hold his own in the beginning, he knew eventually they would fade. He would disappear into their horizon, a diminishing figure, then a dark outline, and then a speck until he was gone. Sometimes they still had cars or motorcycles or ATVs. That was good for him because he could hear the engine before they saw him. They were noisy and easy to avoid on the back roads and trails. He could fade into the woods and they would never know he was there. Worst case, he could throw himself into the small trails where they could not go, where even the ATVs could find no traction among the roots and rocks. But he could. He spent the last 10 years of his life training and running on trails just like this. They were home to him. He supposed an organized pursuit would be able to box him in. But no one was that organized anymore. Not yet. Eventually, they'd form into tribes and learn to hunt as groups. They'd claim some territory and know it better than he did. They'd drive him into a corner or a box canyon like the Paleolithic hunters had driven quarry millennia ago, but he wouldn't live long enough to see that. He'd be bones for the pile soon enough. He had escaped the city. Now he was camped by the river, struggling with what to do next. The sound of the flowing river mingled with the sound of the wind in the trees and made him thoughtful. In another time, he might have relaxed or meditated. But here, he had to wrestle with existential challenges. Society was falling away like skin from a decaying corpse. Would it be another dark age? He thought about this. They were called dark ages because the people didn't leave much writing or anything else for historians to find. Those historians were Englishmen, Victorians. They thought they had the God-given right to retell histories in their own image for all peoples of the world. It only took 1,500 years for the Victorians to emerge on their small, damp island and start writing other people's histories. The Romans left England in the 5th century. The apparatus of state ceased to function at that point. Local estates and officials tried to organize themselves, but without the balancing punitive force of the Roman legions, it was no use. The migrating Germanic horde found an unprotected, aristocratic farming culture with no way to protect themselves. Within 50 years, less than two generations, it was dark. The great villas collapsed in on themselves with neglect. The state buildings were used as stone quarries to build defensive works. The Britons themselves retreated to the old Iron Age forts for protection against marauding bands, originally built by the Celts. To those Britons, it was an apocalypse. It was the end of law and the end of civilization. A dark age, society, civilization was a fragile thing. Within 100 years, the newly arrived Germans organized into local fiefdoms with emerging warlords. In four generations, no one could even remember what those cities, those temples, those piles of stone and rectangular walls had been built for. They imagined the great stone walls and roads might have been built by gods in some misty, long-forgotten time. The old man came back to the present. That was what would happen here, or something similar. The old man considered the virus. They wouldn't have to worry about barbarians queued up at the borders. The virus had presumably killed off 90% of them as well. The locals wouldn't have to worry about outsiders coming in to settle their lands. Of course, there would still be conflict. There would be competition for land and water, for control of rivers and trade. Deserts and cold places with short growing seasons would be abandoned. People would congregate and fight for the water, fight to drink, for irrigation, for power, and for transport. Was there any way that civilization could be saved? Could they pick up where they left off? Was it possible to save pieces of the old and build something new? The old man listened hard into the wind to see if he could hear any pursuit. The first shiny drops of cold rain were pocking the leaves above him it would be another wet night. He should find shelter if he could. He got to his feet, stretched a little, more by habit than on purpose, and made his way up in the ridge as the sun dipped below the clouds and dropped towards the western hills. Maybe they would return all the way back to sun worship. Probably not, but there would be religious zealots for sure. It was part of the plague playbook. The disease is God's punishment for humanity's wickedness and sins. Somewhere, a wild-eyed believer would gather a flock to return to the ways of God. Random viruses that wiped out 90% of the population were hard to rationalize without invoking an angry deity of some sort. Humans needed order and rationality in their lives. Humans consider themselves independent-minded beings, but in reality, they were not. They were sheep. The majority wanted to be told what to do by a confident leader. Competence, intelligence, and wisdom were not prerequisites in this leader. Audacity and the ability to speak with certainty and authority were all that was required. The sheep would follow. People hated uncertainty the playbook also involved blaming outsiders. It would be interesting, he thought, to see who they would blame given that 90% of those outsiders were dead now too. Would this be that point where humanity, stripped down to a population bottleneck, finally forgot about race and nationality, perhaps for no other reason than necessity? When the only person left alive in your neighborhood was one of them, would humanity's genetic imperative make them part of your tribe now? He had read somewhere that there had been a population bottleneck for modern humans 50 to 70,000 years ago. DNA evidence pointed to the modern human population dropping to below 10,000 individuals. Humans at that point were an endangered species. From this small population, it could have gone either way. Humans could have gone extinct. But they didn't. They roared back to spread out across the world to create all the races in all the land masses. I bet they were not so choosy in their dating practices then, were they? The old man said out loud and chuckled. Even those Neanderthals started looking good. Here, humans were again at a crossroads, a bottleneck event. Who knew what could be saved of the old world? He didn't really care. He was one old man. He wouldn't be around to see it anyhow. After the apocalypse.
1: Okay, my survivor friends, I've got a lot on my mind. It's only been a month off from our apocalypse, but I feel a vast yawning chasm filled with smoky wraiths created by industrial light and magic growing between us. These two prologue pieces today, they're sort of scraps from the cutting room floor from season one. They are pieces that I had penned, but I cut them out. They didn't fit into the episodes I was writing at the time. They didn't add to the story and they still feel like they're, you know, they're narratives without an anchor, a bit meandering. So I did some rewrite and stuck them in as a prologue because I miss talking to you guys. And there's a lot to unpack in these narratives from today. And let's start with the bodies in the pit. This is a real thing. I am, as you have probably figured out by now, a follower of history and archaeology. And I suppose in a parallel universe where bills didn't need to be paid, I might have been an archaeologist. But this article of the Stone Age Massacre in Kenya was widely reported back in around 2016. They found these remains with hands bound and heads smashed in by the shores of Lake Turkana, and part of the big headline at the time was that one of the victims was in the late stages of pregnancy. So think about that, 10,000 years ago, these were modern humans, just like you and me, 27 men, women, and children bound and killed by someone. Why? What was the reason behind this massacre? Was it population pressure? Was it religion? Was it disease? Was it one wild-eyed zealot who knew that the outsiders needed to die for their sins? It boggles the mind. They were so far removed from us 10,000 years ago, but at the same time, so much the same as us. It points to just how thin that line is between what we consider civilization and savagery. So I painted a picture of the plague the evil spirits, the thin place between this world and the next, the questions and decisions, the unknown. Are we that much different today? These were people like us, but they were a hair's breadth from chaos and trying to make their way. They knew so many things. They had our same mental equipment and were trying to make sense of their world, but it was all chaos And then in the second part, we introduce the old man in his flight from the pandemic. And the point I'm trying to make is that apocalypse or apocalypses, apocalypti, apocalyptum, I don't know what the correct plural is there, but it's not uncommon. These events are not uncommon. Throughout our history, we build things and we think they're permanent, but they are not. They are flimsy films of things that will fall. And the great irony of the Victorians astride their hemophiliac inbred empire, pretending to be something better, something above the laws of political evolution. And like every society before them, they thought they had it all figured out. They thought they were the endpoint, the pinnacle of humanity. With all our science and knowledge, we're still not the endpoint. We are ever evolving. And we are ever looking over our shoulder at our animal natures in hot pursuit. You can wrap your intentions in science, but they will still stink of pretension. The lesson we never learn is humility. But I also wanted to build a universe with some hope in it. Some hope for renewal. Some hope for the future. And that brings us to the bottleneck event. This is more of a theory than a hard science fact, but scientists did some regression analysis on DNA and found this bottleneck in our evolution 50 to 70,000 years ago, where population crashed. And when this science first came out, they theorized that there was some sort of volcanic event that put population pressure on us, and that has been mostly uh, disproven or moved on from, but there was... A bottleneck event of some sort, and we managed to live through it, right? And again, 50, 70,000 years ago, these two were modern humans, physically and mentally just like us. And modern humans weren't alone at the time. We had other cousins, but none of them survived this bottleneck. Why? We don't know. We can only guess about climate change or some other catastrophe, But do you think these humans, whatever the pressure was, felt like it was the apocalypse, the end of the world? Do you think they made hard choices? Do you think they doubted their humanity? Do you think they turned to their gods? It seems apocalypse is a very human theme that runs through our history and our very DNA. And likewise, I'm picking on the English and the Victorians because they have one of the most well-documented apocalypse events. Briefly, I'll explain. During the final years of the Roman Empire, Britannia produced many pretenders to the throne. The last one of these was the wonderfully named Magnus Maximus, who stripped the legions from Britain in 388 and became Emperor of the West as part of the Tetrarchy. What was a tetrarchy? Well, at the time, the empire was ruled by two senior emperors and two junior emperors, and this was set up by Diocletian in an attempt to add stability to the vast empire. But what it actually did was set up constant civil war between the independent rulers of each of the quarters of the empire. So Britain was part of Gaul. Magnus Maximus, he made his play to be ruler of Gaul, and then the rest of the empire And in the process, he pulled most of the legions out of England, leaving it essentially unprotected. Well, when the Franks and the other German tribes invaded the Western Empire, it fell. And Britain was left basically on its own. And the word German comes from the same root word as guard and garden, and it basically means people of the periphery, people living on the edge, or outsiders. So picture yourself as a Roman plantation owner in the mid-400s. You've got a great view of the Thames River, but the army's left. Seems peaceful, but there's no force behind the peace, and it fell apart pretty quickly. The legend is that the Britons invited a couple Saxons in to fight off the threat from the Welsh and the Irish, And when those Saxons showed up, they were like, cool, unprotected farmland. Tell everybody it's a keg party over here. And by the way, the word Welsh also means outsider. Most of the historical apocalyptic events were accompanied by the migration of outsiders into the civilized territories. Sometimes those outsiders just took over from the current rulers and kept going. Sometimes they burnt civilization down to its foundations and started over. And in our universe, after the apocalypse, who are the outsiders? Where do they come from? Can our civilization be saved? Or will it be a total reset? You will have to wait and see. As always, come over and join the other survivors at our Facebook page. Old Man Apocalypse, I'm working through creating an ebook of the first season, I've done a first outline of the second season, and my plan is still to create five seasons as we go through the story arc. For those of you listening far in the future, let me know how I did. <laughs> I know it's challenging with these short episodes because you can listen through a whole season in a week and then you're stuck. But I designed it that way on purpose To make it digestible and manageable for all of us If you want to help, leave a review on your favorite podcast app Tell a friend or two, leave me a few bucks on the Patreon page And as summer turns to fall, keep surviving